Good morning. Well, we enjoyed having the team down last uh, last summer, and uh, one of the things that we did at the end of each day, <clears throat> the guy, everyone should remember this, that we spent some time together as a as a team uh, between our family and everyone that came down from Orchard Community Church, and we we had what we called a time of sharing a rose and a thorn. You guys remember that? And that was some cool times because the the thorn was sharing something that was difficult, a trial, something that was frustrating, just kind of a negative that day. And, uh, you know, when you go on a short-term missions trip, when you live in Nicaragua or, or other countries around the world, you can you can run into some things that are negative, are really hard, really difficult to do. And uh, I think usually it seems like one of the biggest thorns or the consistent thorn that always came back was, I wish I could have communicated better with the Nicaraguans. Uh, there was these relationships being built, trying to be built, and it's just so hard to get through that language barrier. And to that I say, Welcome to my life. <laughs> That's what it's like for us as missionaries, learning a second language, learning the culture, and uh, trying to build relationships with people. And sometimes we laugh, they laugh at us. We say completely wrong things sometimes and just make fools of ourselves. Uh, but that's uh, a blessing of being a missionary too, is trying to be humble, using that opportunity to just show people, hey, we're just people. Uh, we're here because we, we love Christ and we, we love you and we want to share that, that relationship that we have with Christ with you, and uh, that's been awesome. So the rose is some sharing a blessing that happened that day, and that was just some precious, there were some precious times getting together with the team at the end of each day and sharing just what had happened, hearing from each person that rose and the thorn of something that happened that day. And if you were not on that trip, I would urge you to go talk with some of these people that were, were on the trip. Raise your hand if you're here, uh, those of you that were on that trip here this morning, raise your hand. You can see who that who that was or is. There's some in the balcony too, and go see them and and ask them about that trip. There's another trip coming up, end of June, beginning of July, from Orchard. And so, if you have been thinking about that and wondering about going on a short-term missions trip, go talk with some of these people that you saw their hand raised, and uh, consider coming down to visit us in Nicaragua. We'd love to have you there. Well, Pastor Dave said this morning that uh, there's two services. I think this is the first church that we've been in on, in the two months that we've been back where there's two services. So this is the first time I've preached back-to-back. I used to do this at another church uh, when I was pastor. Uh, I was pastor of our church, and there was another church down the road, about four or five miles down the road, that didn't have a pastor for a time. So I would finish at our church, go down to theirs, and they would do all the music and everything else, and I'd show up and preach again. And Pastor Dave said it's supposed to be a different sermon. So I'm going to preach a different sermon. So some of you are here back again, and I thought, I'm going to preach a different sermon. I have other things that I wanted to share. And so if you wanted to hear the first sermon, you have to go talk to the people that were here in the first service. <laughs> so we're going to go to the book of John. Uh, eventually, you can find the, the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to get there in just a minute. But we want to start with the Great Commission. The Great Commission, of course, is what drives us to serve the Lord in Nicaragua. Do you know what the Great Commission is? The famous passage, of course, is found in Matthew chapter 28, uh, 19, 20, 21, where, where we read, as, literally, as you are going. So the point is, first of all, no matter what you're doing, it's not just me as a missionary, the pastors, or Sunday school teachers, but in whatever you do, whatever your line of work, whatever your situation, if you're a student, uh, no matter what your age or, or vocation in life, As you are going, make disciples. What is a disciple? Making a a disciple is helping someone else 
become a, a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, be, helping them to become as you are, are already. And so there's a, a bit of scariness in that thinking, well, what am I in my relationship with Christ? Lord willing, we should be growing, right? Becoming more of a passionate follower of Jesus to help someone else become as we are already. So as you are going, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things, right? Through to the ends of the earth. Kind of summing it up, kind of paraphrasing that. But the Great Commission is found in other places. For example, Acts chapter 1 is Luke's version. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is Luke's version of the Great Commission. And he says there, uh, quoting Jesus, Jesus said, But you shall be my witnesses, speaking to to those first disciples, you shall be my, my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the rest of the world, the ends of the earth, right? And so that's Luke's version of the Great Commission. I think John could give us, we could see some of the Great Commission in the Gospel of John, another, maybe the most famous verse, we have this as an example from God himself of what the Great Commission is all about. John 3.16, do you know that verse? Can you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, in a nutshell, again, is the demonstration of the Great Commission. God giving His only Son. God Himself coming in the flesh, as we see in John 1, God becoming flesh to dwell among us, that we may behold His glory. What a concept. I mean, I I cannot grasp my mind, cannot wrap my mind around that. That God came to earth. Wow. That, in a nutshell, is an example of what the Great Commission is. But we want to kind of think about the the order, if you will. We're going to, get, going to get back to this at the end, but the order of of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, of going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, as we come to the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. <clears throat> You'll have to bear with me because I've got a cold and it's taking its toll on my voice as well. <clears throat> Gospel of John chapter 4, we come to verse 4 and it says, And he had to pass through Samaria. As you're reading the whole context, reading the, the entire Gospel of John, the first few chapters, you get to chapter 4 and you come to this verse in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. You might just pass on by it and keep on reading. But many of you, I assume, have studied the Gospel of John, you study this particular passage, and you know by now that the Jews did not just simply pass through Samaria. In fact, the Samaritans were what they referred to as a mixed breed uh, as a result of the Assyrians and the Jewish people marrying together, having children, and having this mixed race of Jews and Gentiles, or particularly Assyrians. And so the the Jews who were very... Uh, cognizant of their culture and, and their being the children of, of God, that they did not look at the Samaritans in the same way. They referred to them as dogs. 
It was very, in this, in this age today of political correctness, they looked at the Jews, looked at Samaritans as, as outsiders, cast aside. They wanted nothing to do with, do with them. They would do no business with them. In fact, they did not even want to walk through their area. So if they had to get from point A to point B, they would go all the way around Samaria so they did not have to pass through for any reason or even touch or come in close contact with a Samaritan. And if you've studied the life of Christ, you see that Jesus comes and breaks all of our rules. All of the things that we thought were, this is the way it is, this is the way life works, this is what's normal to be a true follower of God, this is the way it should work. Do not go near the Samaritans. They are dogs, they are outsiders. And then it says about Jesus in verse 4 of chapter 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Why? I like to ask that question, why? Well, if we, as we continue reading, we're not going to read verse by verse. We're going to kind of sum up the, the chapter as we go. But we understand that he had to pass through Samaria because he had a divine appointment. He had a divine appointment. We've come to recognize divine appointments as sometimes they feel like divine interruptions. You ever have those in your life? You know, as you, as you look at the scriptures, you look at some of the examples of the Old Testament, and you think of some people who had divine interruptions or divine appointments in their life. Do you remember Joseph? Maybe one of the most famous stories of the book of Genesis or the Old Testament. And Joseph, uh, this chosen one by God, was captured by his brothers, stuck in a pit with the idea of murdering him. They get a different idea. Well, let's sell him and we'll make a little profit on the side. He was the favored son of his father, and his brothers sold him into slavery into Egypt. And there's Joseph in Egypt, uh, ends up in the house of Potiphar, and serving the house of Potiphar faithfully, rises through the ranks, becomes in, in charge of the entire house of Potiphar. Until a situation happens with Potiphar's wife, she accuses him of attacking her and abusing her, and he's thrown into prison. Down again. And he rises through the ranks of the prison, and interprets some dreams. Some guys get out. One guy is killed for, for treason. Another guy is promoted back to his same role as the cupbearer for the king. And eventually the king, the Pharaoh, has a dream. And he's trying to figure this out. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph in prison. And he relates that to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh calls him out. And they clean, him, clean Joseph up from his time in prison. He comes to, before Pharaoh and interprets the dream, and he tells him he's going to have seven years, seven good years and seven years of famine. And so the, the Pharaoh says, what do we do? How do we prepare for this? And he puts Joseph in charge for the years to come, and Joseph starts saving all of the food, building up the storehouses, preparing for that, those seven years of famine. Finally, when the seven years of famine hit, it's not just Egypt, it's the entire area, including where Joseph came from in Canaan. And Joseph's brothers find themselves back down in Egypt, looking for food. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. The story goes on, we're going to sum it up quickly here. They finally, Joseph reveals to them, after they bring his, his youngest brother, he reveals to them who he is. He's their brother, Joseph. And now they're scared, because Joseph has risen to power, and he's really, in, in reality, second most powerful person in the world. And he could have their heads in a, in a split second. 
as he goes through his entire life, his father comes, the, the entire, his entire family, some 70 people, find themselves in Egypt, and then his father dies, and his brothers think, well, now he will have his revenge. And so they begin telling him, hey, remember what dad said. Remember the good things. They're trying to have a positive impact on Joseph. And Joseph relates to them once again. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And Joseph experienced a divine interruption in his life. When those interruptions happen, we don't necessarily think of the positives, right? We think, oh man, not this, this is not what I was planning. You have your whole day planned out, like Karen has all of her plans laid out, right? And something happens, you think, oh, what are we going to do now? And we have these divine interruptions that are in reality divine appointments, And God is looking for people like Joseph and how will they respond to these divine interruptions or divine appointments. When we arrived in Nicaragua, we had spent a year in language school. We had been studying Spanish and toiling through that, trying to learn and grasp uh, all all of the grammar and the the new vocabulary and all of that. And now we've been practicing, we were conversive, and we're going to try this now. And, uh, you know, first of all, our focus, our number one focus, our number one priority is our family. That we would be making disciples of our own children. To raise them up, to live for the Lord, and to be witnesses, and so on and so forth. But our family. And so, Irena's role, her her God-given role that she has accepted and embraced, is to be in the home to serve our family. But, you know, that can be a detriment to learning the Spanish language, or any language if you're not out and immersed in in practicing. And she began to pray. This was a few years ago. She began to pray that God would bring people into her life, Nicaraguans into her life, that she could begin practicing and, and learning and growing in Spanish to be able to have a friend because we've left all of that behind. All of those friends, people that we had led to Christ, discipled, people that we thought of as brothers and sisters in the faith, were all back in the States. And here we are, in a new land, in a new language, in a new culture. And there's a struggle of of communicating and building relationships. And so Irena began to pray, God, would you bring people, ladies and families into my life that I could practice and learn and get better in Spanish. And then we moved to the community, the community that we talked talked about in Sunday school. uh, It's called Vista del Momotumbo. And we began getting to know people as we go for walks after dinner or something like that and just walk and say hi and stop and talk to people. We invite them to come on over. We invite them eventually to come for, for dinner or coffee and just try to interact as much as we could. And we began having these kind of opportunities to the point where people took it seriously and literally that when she was in the middle of homeschooling, teaching a lesson to the girls, there was a knock at the door and someone would just want to talk and visit. And she's in the middle of something. She's teaching. And then she's preparing dinner and a knock at the door and someone wants to stop by and say hello. And while we're, she's trying to, to fix dinner, uh, there's someone, a couple that had come by to visit, so we're talking. And there's another knock at the door, literally, and I'm not making this up. While we're talking to them, someone else comes and comes in the door and we say, oh, do you know so-and-so? You know, they just stopped by to visit. You know, we weren't planning this, but we're visiting and talking, and we get to know each other, the three couples or whatever, and there's some kids now playing in the living room or running in and out. 
And then there's another knock at the door. I'm not making this up. This, this honestly happens. And someone else comes in, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? And we're just visiting and talking. And Irena sometimes is, this happens at dinner, this happens at bath time. And she was getting to the point of thinking, I can't handle this. I have my family to take care of. And God, what are you thinking, bringing all these people in? And then she remembered their prayer, that God would bring people into her life that she could talk with and have a relationship with and a friendship with. And we, we realized and learned that God was giving us divine interruptions, divine appointments, an opportunity to speak the gospel into someone's life. There's nothing like it. Sometimes it's when we pray for an opportunity, God gives us the opportunity that we don't expect. Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he had a divine appointment. And that divine appointment was with a, a woman, a cast aside, cast out of her own people, the Samaritans, because she was a sinner. As they begin talking, I said we're not going to go verse by verse, Jesus explains to her about water. She's there at the well to draw water in the sixth hour, not the common hour for the women to go draw water, because they would go in the cool of the day where it was comfortable, and this was their social time. This is the women's social time to visit, to catch up with one another, to pass the gossip around of what's happening in your household and the neighbors down the street, and this is their time to catch up. And here's this woman there all alone in the middle of the day, because she did not want the peering eyes and the snide comments from the other women because of her lifestyle. And Jesus says, if you truly knew, you would ask for living water, and you would never thirst again. And she says, give me this water. And she's thinking, I'll never have to return to the well. I won't have to come out and endure this persecution because of my lifestyle. Well, the conversation goes on. She finally realizes that he's not just a man sitting by the well, a Jewish man speaking with a woman who was, it was culturally unacceptable. He was a rabbi, she figured out, speaking with a sinner. That was not acceptable culturally. And then she figures out he's not just a, a man, a Jewish man, a rabbi. He is the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one to come to be the Savior of the world. When she figures this out, she returns back to the village and she cannot help but, but shout the news throughout all of the streets. And she tells everyone, listen, the one who knew all of my sins and forgave me is out of the well. Come and see. Do you know what God did through one witness? This one cast out, cast aside woman who was a sinner because Jesus called it called her on it, realized that, that she had been married several times and the one that she was with now was not her husband. He confronted her sins. She repented from that, realized that, that he was the Messiah that, had, that could forgive her, and she went to proclaim his forgiveness throughout the entire village. And what God did through one witness was to bring the entire village out to the well. Through one witness. Not from the one that you would expect. A woman, a sinner, cast out, became a witness for Jesus. If you want to do another study, this is interesting to look at the genealogies. Uh, who reads the genealogies in Scripture, right? But go back to the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and notice the women 
that appear in the genealogy of Jesus. These are not the women that you and I would choose to be in the line of Christ. But God chose not just those, but now this Samaritan woman, that's all we know her by, as the Samaritan woman to be a witness, and she calls out the entire village. And meanwhile, the disciples had gone to look for lunch. When they arrive there, they go out looking for lunch, and Jesus has this personal time with a woman at the well, speaking through all these things about living water, him being the Messiah. And when she leaves, they return, and they're encouraging him to eat. And he says to them, you were out looking for lunch while I was looking for the lost. Do you remember when Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke, that he came to seek and to save those who were lost? And the disciples are not understanding what he's getting at. They're like, they're giving him, trying to give him food. Come on, eat, eat. And he says, my food is to do the will of the Father that sent me. And they're thinking, did someone give him food? What happened? How did this turn out? What is he, how did he eat? There was no food around. He was talking about this satisfaction, right? That his satisfaction was to do the will of the Father. You know, we live in a society today, a consumerism society. There's all, we're always looking to meet our own personal needs or desires and wants. And we have trouble differentiating between needs and desires. And it's all about us and consuming and buying more and looking for more. And Jesus gives us this demonstration that it's all wrong. The disciples went out to look for lunch, and we understand we need to eat and sustain ourselves, Right? But they went out looking for lunch when, in fact, he was looking for the lost. They had missed, they missed the concept. And this is part of their learning in those three years that they were with him of what the priorities were. He was looking for the lost. So the entire village comes out. And they'd heard the testimony of the woman. They had heard about this Messiah who could forgive sins who had the authority to forgive sins as the Son of God. And they say to her later on, look at verse 39, John chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the testimony of the woman. He told me all that ever I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, stay with them, uh, asked him to stay with them, and, they, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman then, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard him for ourselves, and they now believe. Do you remember Acts chapter eight, verse one? Acts chapter one, verse eight. You at, receiving on the authority of Jesus, you should receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You should be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Can we do a little study real quick and go back to John chapter 1? Sorry, John chapter 2. And this was after his first miracle. The, the turning the water into wine, the wedding at, wedding at Cana, right? And in verse 13, after the wedding at Cana and all of that, then it's in verse 13 it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to where? Jerusalem. You've got to pay attention to this now, all right? And then it goes on to John chapter 3, where he has this conversation with Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus was that religious ruler who came to Jesus at night because he was a little bit fearful of the, of the persecution that he might receive from the other religious leaders. He was a religious teacher, a rabbi. And he came to Jesus to speak with Jesus at night. And Jesus tells him he, uh, about being born again. We get to that famous verse, verse 16, for God so loved the world, right? And Nicodemus is, is hearing all this and processing it and coming to the point of faith. And uh, in verse 22, after that conversation, we read in verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Are you making the connection? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He had been in, after the wedding at Cana, he went to Jerusalem. After his conversation with Nicodemus, he went to the Judean countryside. Then we come to verse, or chapter 4, and it says the next stage, the next part of his journey, he had to pass through Samaria. See, Jesus didn't just tell us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria for the sake of going to those places, but he demonstrated it. Now, of course, we're, not, we're today not physically talking about Jerusalem, right? We have looked at what is our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem, your Jerusalem, is Rochester, New York, right? Or you can make it more specific, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood. But we'll just say generally Rochester, New York. That is your Jerusalem, your first platform for ministry. That is your Jerusalem. Judea may be the surrounding areas. Maybe it is this church plant. I don't know names and everything, but this church plant uh, in downtown Rochester. Maybe that's your Judea, just a little bit further out. And some have mentioned that to me this morning, saying, I want to go and get involved in that. Go do it. Go beyond your Jerusalem and go to Judea, to that church plant in in downtown Rochester. Take that step. Take that leap of faith. Maybe you've identified a Samaria. Maybe that's Nicaragua. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's New York State somewhere. Maybe that's just going and helping, helping a struggling church. Maybe that's planting another church a little bit further out. Sending someone to go and, and be really in charge of that church plant. God has a plan for Orchard Community Church. But that means you personally involved in that. Looking at your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria. But you've heard me stop there, right? You've seen Jesus' journey through that going to Jerusalem after the wedding at Cana, uh, after his conversation with Nicodemus going to Judea, and then after after that whole thing going then to this appointment, this divine appointment to Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. But look what happens. This is interesting that those who were the outcast, those who were reviled by the chosen people, the Samaritans, were the first to proclaim Jesus, the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. Look at, at verse uh, 42. We started, we read part of this already. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard him for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Jesus demonstrates through his journey in those first few days of ministry, his journey from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the rest of the world. If you want to do another study of one of his disciples called Philip, you see Philip's journey. 
as he's preaching, it, go, go back to uh, Acts chapter 8, you see Phil, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. And you see Philip, who is preaching in Jerusalem. And he's, uh, sorry, Samaria. He's preaching in Samaria. He had been in Jerusalem. He was preaching in Samaria. And uh, God takes him to speak with a eunuch out on the road to Gaza. And through that, that Ethiopian, then, the message can go to the world. You see a parallel between Philip and Acts chapter 8 and, John, and Jesus in the first couple of chapters of John. Jesus didn't just give us the command, he demonstrated it for us. There is no greater example of missions than God himself sending his only son. God deemed it important enough to send his only son to a world that would despise him. And then he gives us this this same commission to go into all the world and make disciples, reproducing ourselves as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you in this issue of location, if you will? You know what your Jerusalem is. Have you thought about stepping out of that border, that comfort zone, to pursue a Samaria? I'm not talking about Orchard Community Church as a whole. I'm talking now to you personally. I don't know all of your names, but just take a little uh, self-test, if you will. Where is my comfort zone? Is God pushing me outside that comfort zone, and am I pushing back? Saying, no, Lord, I prefer to do what's comfortable. I have my routine. I have my plan, just like, just like we did, right? With, we have school. We have bath time. We have dinner. We have all of these things all in order. And now God says, hey, I've got a divine interruption for you. Are you willing to take a hold of that divine interruption and step outside your comfort zone of, of your Jerusalem and see what Samaria is about? and the needs that are there. I'm not going to tell you right now to go to the rest of the world. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've gone to Samaria. Maybe you've gone to Judea, and you're ready to go to the rest of the world. We've talked about this missions trip coming up uh, this summer for a week. And of course, you're invited to come down. We'd love to have you down. But maybe God is moving in your heart to pursue missions full-time. I don't know all of your hearts here, but you know your hearts. And maybe God has been working in your heart to say, you know what, it's time. Enough of the excuses, enough of the resistance. It's time to take that next step. The Great Commission is not just given to me and my family. The Great Commission is for all believers. Go as you are going, so if you are in the workforce or in school here, certainly go make disciples into all of the world. Can I urge you to consider your heart before God and see where you're at? Are you in Jerusalem still? Do you need, do you need to move to Samaria? Do you need to take that next step to Judea? Or is it the ends of the earth? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this we read that Jesus 
did not just simply say to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, but he demonstrated it for us. There is no greater love demonstrated to us that God first loved us and gave his son to pay the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated your power as as God himself by rising from the dead, conquering over sin, conquering over death, conquering over Satan, that we may have life eternal, that we may have life more abundant. Lord, I don't know each person's heart here this morning, but you do. So I I ask for your Holy Spirit to convict, to prick, to nudge that person's heart according to your will, according to where you're calling them. We thank you, Lord, for what you'll do here through each individual, for what you'll do through the ministry of Orchard Community Church here in Rochester, that you may receive the, all the honor and the glory, that your name may be made known, that it would be made great throughout this city, throughout the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.